This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. Swing Left is one of the left-leaning grassroots organizations that formed as part of the, quote, resistance after Donald Trump was elected president. Its goal was to swing races to the left in Democrats' favor. Since 2017, it has recruited more than 1 million volunteers who have made more than 40 million voter contacts and raised more than $40 million for Democratic candidates and organizations. And California has long been a hub for its work. But like many organizations on the left, Swing Left faces deep challenges. President Joe Biden's approval rating is the lowest of any elected president since World War II. 64% of Democrats overall and 94% of Democrats under 30 want someone else to run for president in 2024. And just about every political analyst is predicting that Republicans will retake control of the House and possibly the Senate this year, virtually killing Biden's agenda. Our guest today is stepping into the middle of those challenges. She is Swing Left's new executive director, Yasmin Raji, who was born in San Francisco and grew up in Palo Alto as the daughter of Iranian immigrants. Raji is a longtime organizer who recently served in the Biden administration as senior advisor for recovery program outreach at the Treasury Department. She also used to be the national political director at Planned Parenthood. She says there is a path for Democrats to keep the House and believes that the fight for abortion rights will bring more voters to their side. Yasmin Raji, welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. It's great to be here and back in San Francisco, close to my hometown, but also I lived in San Francisco for many years, so it's really fun being back here. Well, let's start about that. Before we start talking about all the misery that awaits Democrats in the midterm elections, let's talk about your background and how it influenced your activism. You were born in San Francisco, and grew up in Palo Alto. Your parents were immigrants from Iran who came over during the revolution. How did the various bastion of activism shape you? I grew up, like you mentioned, in Palo Alto and like many folks in the Bay Area, I don't think I knew a single Republican or at least an out Republican uh, for most of my childhood. So it was just, you know, a world of blue and the spectrum was from progressive to, you know, more moderate, although we didn't use those terms back then. And for me, you know, the issue that motivated me starting pretty early on, and I think middle school, um, was observing a lot of inequality, not just economic inequality, but inequality in immigration experiences, depending on where families came from and what their immigrant experience was. As you mentioned, you know, my parents are from Iran, uh, grew up with a lot of Salvadorians and Mexican-Americans who had very different immigrant experiences. um, And a lot of folks I was close to that had hurdles my family didn't, didn't have. And when I thought about inequality, that was not a political question. That was a activism question, or that was a community service question. And so like, why did electoral politics matter for me and my community uh, when, you know, everyone was of the same party? And so it wasn't till the very end of college. So my senior year um, was 2008 and the primary was hot on the presidential primary in, in Philadelphia. And I was in my peak armchair radical 
uh, phase of, of life where I had all the solutions in every textbook I was reading. And my friends um, sort of called me in and said, Yasmin, you're a nightmare. And you are talking about a lot of things uh, and, and what can be done about them, but you're not doing a whole lot uh, to change them. And so they dragged me to an Obama rally and I began to really connect the dots that day and quickly connected many more of them of electoral politics were maybe not perfect, certainly not perfect, but every issue that I cared about, even back home, I hadn't really understood just how much who was elected president, who was elected to Congress in districts across the country, then transformed the reality of what was possible back home, where every city council member, every you know state legislator around me was a Democrat, but their ability to get things done depended on what we did in the national electoral landscapes. The big, bold things I hoped our society would do depended on going and knocking on doors in places like Ohio and Iowa and you know, Pennsylvania and all these other places um, that I, you know, was less familiar with than the Bay Area. Swing left is an organization that's all about rallying grassroots uh, support among Democrats and, and people on the left of the uh, center. But you, you've seen the polls. Uh, enthusiasm among Democratic voters trails Republicans significantly. How concerned are you about that? And what are you going to do about it? I wish I didn't read the polls as much as I do, but I read all the same polls uh, that you do. And I'm sure many of your listeners do as well. And I'm not going to lie and say they don't cause me occasional pangs of real anxiety. But, you know, I'm hopeful for a couple of reasons. One is nationally, the conversation is about the doom and the gloom. But when I look at the numbers, which I've been doing a lot of is I've been executive director just for four days. I've been looking a lot of what's going on within this organization. I look at the numbers of volunteers that we have and not just who's on an email list, but who's doing stuff and how much are they doing? And the numbers of actions that Swing Left volunteers are taking today, this week, this month, right now, is on par uh, and in some cases exceeding where we were in 2018. And so to me, that tells me, you know, polls tell a slice of the story and they maybe get our blood pressure up, but they also are not telling the full story. But on the political side, we have a path to victory in the House. It's going to be really hard. That path to victory, by the way, relies directly on California, uh, which uh, I think if I, if I remember correctly, there are more House district targets in California for swing left this cycle than anywhere else in the country. We cannot win the House if we don't flip some seats in California. Yasmin, you used to be the national political director for Planned Parenthood. I'm torn about how many new voters will cast ballots in November because they're concerned about abortion rights. We know people are concerned about it, but does it bring out new voters or will it do what one Democratic operative told me, just make people vote harder, if you will? How do you see this playing out? Will this bring out more voters? I think that's been an open question in a lot of elections. It is not to me an open question for this election because of how far Republicans have gone. Um, and I think Mitch McConnell reads the same polls that we do. And so he sees that uh, depending on what poll you're reading, it's between 65% and 77% of Americans support the legal right to a safe abortion. And whether we're talking 65 or 77%, and we're talking about the overwhelming majority of Americans who believe in that. And what we've seen with this extreme overreach on the Supreme Court is something that Mitch McConnell is definitely nervous about, but also gubernatorial candidates. All my experience in really tough districts, really Republican districts in uh, at Planned Parenthood, we saw that what Republicans try to do is to shift the conversation to the most contentious parts of an abortion conversation, of the latest uh, you know, moments in pregnancy and when, how to define that line, et cetera. 
because they know if you just talk broadly about the legal right to a safe abortion, that is something that's actually quite popular. So I feel really confident actually um, in what this is going to do for our side if, and there's a big if, we talk about it and we talk about it a lot because one of the polls that gave me a lot of anxiety before this Supreme Court decision that I think is a good call to action is in the states where there had been six-week bans, which you know, I have a three month old baby. I had no idea I was pregnant at six weeks. I had no, I think it was week seven and a half that I even thought to take a pregnancy test to, you know, I mean, six weeks is just mind blowing that states are, are, are passing these bans. And at that, you know, states like Georgia and many others, the polls on the ground um, are that people don't know that these things have happened, right? So when they know they are outraged, but they assume that in their state, they can still go get an abortion if they need one. And so the more we talk about it, the more we educate people on the national landscape, but concretely what that means for their lives in their states and in their communities, then I think we will be able to access um, those new voters and bring them out in droves. And who are those new voters? I think it's it's a lot of different groups. And this is the same, I think, quite frankly, for any issue, not just abortion access, but it's the, the voters who only come out for presidential years and sit out midterms, either because they don't think midterms impact their lives or they're busy and they, you know, don't pay attention until the presidential cycle. And then the second is the suburban white women demographic. Not everybody likes to talk about that demographic on these issues because it's such a complicated one and there's so many tough dynamics there. But I have knocked on many, many, many suburban doors in many communities in Iowa, in Texas, in Virginia, and Pennsylvania, and so many places. And I can tell you many, many stories about the conversations I've had, but I've had more women come outside, close their front door when they see I'm wearing a Planned Parenthood pink t-shirt and say, I am so with you and I cannot believe that we're having these kinds of conversations. And these are women who are on my, you know, canvas list as people who are either registered Republicans, registered independents, et cetera. And this is an issue that, you know, not every single woman is on our side. There are many far right women like Amy Comey Barrett, but there are a lot of suburban Republican independent women or shaky Democratic women um, that sometimes aren't voting our way, but the more that we highlight these issues, the more they'll come on to our side. We will hear more from Swing Left Executive Director Yasmin Raji after this short break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now back to our conversation with Swing Left Executive Director Yasmin Raji. You mentioned that the road to holding the House runs through California. Which of the House seats are going to be, do you think, the most likely to flip in California from red to blue? And which will be the toughest? Well, one of the ones that I've long been obsessed with, uh, and I know the numbers have changed in California, so uh, you know, bear with me with all of that, but Christy Smith's seat, um, I think that's California 27 now. I'm sure a lot of the folks listening uh, to this podcast have knocked on doors in that district. 
but you know, Christy Smith lost by, I think it was 333 votes if I'm remembering correctly. So redistricting has helped that seat. It has helped a lot of these seats. Um, and so I think that that's a really, really important one um, to organize like hell around. And then, you know, there are a number in the Bay Area too, California 13 uh, and also California 22. I know are are in our, our sort of home areas there. I just think that there's a lot of hope in these areas where Swing Lab volunteers from Northern California have been going into those areas in the Central Valley. Southern California have been driving out to, you know, these other uh, adjacent districts in Orange County and also in the sort of more suburban areas around LA. And those victories wouldn't have happened without Swing Lab volunteers. I think like 80 some odd volunteers went to knock on, knock on doors for Christy Smith just a couple weekends ago. But there is also something that is as important, which is the folks within the community who are also organizing and are complementing those efforts. And to me, the winning races in California are going to be where there's a yin and yang there of those two pieces of the puzzle organizing together. And then let's talk about someone who will not be on the ballot uh, this year. And uh, that's someone who sort of inspired the creation of Swing Left and other resistance groups like Indivisible Donald Trump. What's the best way for Democrats to talk about Trump? Uh, or should they not talk about him in this race in November? We don't have Trump on the ballot. We have many Trumps all over the country. Uh, who are all sort of aspiring to be more and more like him uh, that we have to defeat in the state legislative level and the you know, federal level uh, and gubernatorial races. So he is, you know, in my mind, Trumpism existed far before Trump came around onto the national stage. In state legislatures, extreme politics have been a part of what any activist in purple or red state legislatures has had to deal with for a really long time. Trump sort of brought that out into the national conversation. And now, I mean, it's just explosive in state legislatures. So I say all of that because I think that on our side, we often are thinking about the binary of, do we talk about Trump? Do we not talk about Trump? How much do we talk about him? How much do we not? And I think that Part of my concern with that frame is that Trump is a symbol of a thing that existed before him and that will outlast him. And so if we just make it about whether or not to talk about him, I worry that we are not going to get to the root, which is the far right Republican Party has been organizing like hell for 40 some odd years to get Trump in office and to do things like get the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. And we need to take a similarly sort of generational approach uh, to how we're organizing to fight back. I don't think that the binary is talk about Trump or not. It's really doing the listening work to understand what issues matter to folks and to talk about that. And I think the reason that we need to do that is not just because that's what's on people's minds and most people don't pay attention to politics. I mean, the bigger divide in this country is not the red and blue divide. It's the people who pay attention to politics and the people who really only tune in every once in a while, every four years, and don't have the time or the interest to pay attention to politics. And that is a, a much tougher group to communicate with because they're not watching news. They're not listening to podcasts. They're not paying attention to be, you know, beyond what their friends and social media might say. So I think it's important for that. Those are the things people care about. It's also really important because Democrats are actually doing stuff on the things that people care about. They are doing things to get relief in the hands of families that are struggling economically. They are doing things to create a more you know, just economy in the long term that has better jobs and has more opportunity. They are doing things on the kitchen table issues that everyone keeps saying Democrats need to focus on. Democrats are fighting like hell to actually get things done on those things. And we need to brag about that. But 
I just came out of the, the Biden-Harris administration where I was a, a senior advisor at the Treasury Department working on implementation of the American Rescue Plan. And a lot of my work was trying to understand how to reach folks via their state legislatures, via their local you know, communities, et cetera. And I remember a moment where I almost you know, smashed my laptop against the desk was when I saw a tweet from Greg Gianforte in Montana who didn't do a single thing to help the Biden administration to get COVID relief into the hands of Montana, far-right Republican. And he had a tweet railing Biden for not doing enough for Montana families and not doing enough for the economy. And it was a group of farmers and he was bragging about how much he had invested in this farming community and they're holding up a check. And this check for this money that he was bragging about had in the corner of it written, the American Rescue Plan. And I just, you know, I wanted to slash my laptop because I'm like, how is this man who has done nothing, nothing to support COVID relief, taking credit for something that Democrats fought like hell uh, to do without any Republican support, by the way. And that's why we need to talk about these really critical kitchen table issues and brag about the work that Democrats are doing. Pelosi calls that phenomenon, vote no and take the dough. Speaking of your old boss, you say he just came out of the White House, his approval rating is is horrible. You know that, 39%. It's the lowest of any elected president at this point of their presidency since the end of World War II, according to our our friends, the data geeks over at 538.com. How is, is Biden's low approval rating, how does that make your job more difficult? Because, you know, for whatever reason... There's high gas prices, there's inflation record levels uh, we haven't seen in four decades. How does that make your job more difficult and how do you run around that? There is a lot to be frustrated about right now. We are coming out of a global pandemic and things are tough. That is not an opinion. That is a fact. It is tough for all of us, regardless of where we are and whatever. We're coming back from a moment of real crisis in the same way that we were recovering from a moment of crisis during the Bush years of coming out of war and dealing with a broken economy and a lot of things. That's what Trump did to us. That's what Bush did to us. And it is really tough to deal with all of these things. So it is also really easy to sort of feel hopeless about what is possible in this moment because of how hard things are. And so for me, you know, organizing to me is not just the solution to how we build power. It is also to me a way that we actually kind of move the needle forward. And I think that what's What's really important in this moment is, of course, to organize on the issues, but also Biden cannot do the things that he has promised or the things that a lot of activists want him to promise without co-conspirators. And that is something that I witnessed firsthand in the uh, implementation of the American Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan is one of the most progressive and bold pieces of legislation in not just in a generation, but in American history. I mean, I, I feel very confident saying that that is not just my belief, but I think that history will look back on this in that way as well. That is a Biden priority. That is a Democratic Congress priority. It doesn't matter to me whether activists like Biden or not. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter whether they like their senator or not or their congressman or not. Like that to me is, it is beside the point. Politicians are there to be a vehicle to, to fight for the issues that we care about. And no politician can do that if they don't have allies in the other parts of government the other parts of an administration, the other parts of Congress, the other parts of state legislatures. So Biden needs more co-conspirators 
And it doesn't matter if they like him or not. They need to be sane, normal people who believe in democracy. And a lot of our state legislatures do not have those people in office. So we need to fight to, to get those folks elected. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, you, you know the activist wing of the party very well. What, what do you say to progressives who say that Democrats, despite holding the White House and Congress, haven't done enough, whether it's on voting rights, the George Floyd uh, Policing Act, uh, and other issues? Quite honestly, we've got two choices ahead of us. Uh, we can get really organized and fight like hell. And then we will have the ability to get things done with a 52 Senate majority and a, and a House majority and really push to make sure that all four years of this administration and hopefully past that, we are getting things done. Or we can have another reality, which is two years of having some of the top talent in the country sitting in the administration staffing Benghazi hearings on every issue under the sun. Elections are a blunt instrument, and that is what we've got. I mean, we just cannot get as bold of things done with 50 allies than we could with 52. We just cannot do that. And so I always look for like, what can we what can we do to move the needle forward? And what we can do right now is organize like hell for the midterms to make sure that we've got two years of being able to get a lot of good stuff done. And then again, hopefully extend that timeline for another four years. But time to me feels like like the enemy that we have. So we need to fight harder. Yasmin, thank you for your time. Your work is cut out for you and good luck. Thank you so much, Joe, and to be continued. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Yasmin for joining us today. I'd like to thank Melissa Newcomb for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you swing left or swing right, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.